Well, good morning again, and uh, we're, we're excited, and I'd love to invite you to the, the potluck that we're having after service today. You don't have to have brought anything. It's okay. We're going to have tacos, and I want to give a special word of thanks to my mom, Anita, who has been uh, instrumental in putting all that together, but there's going to be a ton of food. We'd love to uh, have you involved in that, and please just join us right across the hall. The thought is it'll be ready like right after service, so it's going to be right there for you. Um, we're going to just do a, a, a one-off uh, sermon today and then get back into a, a series uh, next week. But I just want to begin with a question. How many of you uh, have ever cleaned up before someone come over to your house? Yeah. How many of you uh, will just never raise your hand for anything I ask? Like, pretty, pretty much this is, this is everybody. You, you, know, you know that feeling of like the, the frantic moment of like getting things ready and getting things prepared and making sure that everything looks right and getting that stuff in order to make it look like, you know, this is just how I live with everything perfect and everything put away, even though uh, it's probably not, but this is like how we live. Um, how many of us know what it is to have that moment when you're cleaning up? And many of us, we live probably at a disorganized pace at times. And I don't know about you, but I kind of love this meme that I saw a few years ago uh, on Facebook. I'm starting group meetings at my house for people with OCD, not because I have a beast, but surely one of them will be bothered enough to clean it. And I, I think that's a pretty reasonably good idea. I think that's a mutually beneficial relationship. Help them help you. I, mean, I think it's like something that actually might work. Uh, this morning, we're, we're going to talk about a moment that Jesus interacts with and has a conversation about cleaning. And what that means, and actually what I think he's trying to to get people to understand. So Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, tells us this. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, which sounds really bad, but that just means unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating uh, their food with defiled hands? So they ask this question, and I have to say, like, this actually makes some sense. And there's practical reasons for this. Chris and I were just talking a moment ago about how there's a horrible cold sickness um, going around. I don't know if you had it, but I had it for a few days. So if you're coming to eat some tacos afterwards, please wash your hands. Please. That would be uh, a really wonderful thing. We would definitely uh, encourage that. We have a five-year-old in the house who brings home a different illness every other week, it seems, from preschool. So we know what it's like to have the anarchy going on. Like when people don't know that much about germs and are just sharing it with each other and then and sharing it uh, with us. So we know what it's like. So please, please, please wash your hands. And in fact, what's interesting, and you'll note in that passage, it doesn't say that Jesus doesn't wash his hands or is like practicing in this, like doing this. It doesn't say that he has. It's, it's the disciples who are doing it. And in fact, I believe the religious leaders and teachers of the law have some good reason for encouraging this because they have an understanding that if you are having a meal that it's a blessing from God, and you should prepare yourself as such. So, like, 
if you're thinking about how you would put your best foot forward, if you're going on a, a blind date or you um, have a, a really important interview, you're going to look your best. You're going to put your best foot forward. You're going to have your hair gelled on the right way. You're going to make sure that you're coming correct to that moment. You know, you want to you look good. You want to put your best foot forward. And the thought is, from the religious community, is if you do that on any level, that you like would, would put on the, the right clothes or do whatever it is, then you should do that before you have a meal because it's a blessing from God. Like we often, maybe you participate in this, that you would say a prayer uh, before you would like have a meal, a, a moment to say thank you to God. And in the, the Jewish mindset, all of life was lived before God. And we, I think, need to reclaim a little bit of that. And so if you would keep things clean in a certain moment when you're trying to impress somebody, you should probably do this, that you would go through these washings to remind yourself that this moment, this sacred moment, this meal that I'm having, it is special. There's something powerful here. But the issue that Jesus has is that it becomes for them a ritual and not really about God. And it seems like the Pharisees and teachers of the law who are constantly interacting with Jesus, they function like referees who are just ready to throw the flag, and then they want to have this conversation and try to hash all this out. But Jesus is going to have some pretty harsh words for them. So the story continues. Jesus replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. And I want to always notice, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus and a religious person, just remember that Jesus has the hardest words for religious people. So we always have to check ourselves and be careful. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Mark 7, 6, and 7. What Jesus is, is trying to attack a little bit is the, the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees during that time, they wanted to make sure and not break the most important rule. And so what they had done is they built what was called fences around the law. Because you don't want to break the heart of the matter, so you want to take a few steps out. So in case you do, like, knock over one of those fences, then it's okay and it's not actually getting to the heart of the thing. So they had built, like, fences upon fences upon fences. And the thought was, like, if you were, like, the most religious person, if you were following God really closely, then you would be, like, seven or eight fences deep because you were, like, really, really holy. So it's not just, like, one thing that you would do, but you would have all of these things. And it was a way of, like, impressing yourself and building yourself up. But the problem is, as Jesus says, it ends up creating a system where they just celebrate human rules, not actually the thing that God desires. That they had said, okay, here is all of this stuff, and if you do this, and you're like the super one who is following all this perfectly, and Jesus says, you need to remember what the heart of this thing is actually about. So the story continues. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going in. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles him. And all of us are like, what is that talking about? After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked about this parable. 
are you so dull, he asked. There's sometimes in Jesus' ministry where I think he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Like, this is like one of those days, like, just really just throwing things out. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, which... We have to pause and be thankful for. This is the passage, and eventually we're going to see it in Acts, and Peter has this revelation, but this is where Jesus says bacon is okay. So praise God. You can just put a footnote right there that, like, if you do like bacon, congratulations. This is Jesus giving us that. So he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So Jesus says to the disciples as he is explaining this a little bit further, What you actually have to understand is you have to get to the heart of it. Don't focus so much on outward appearance. Don't walk around like thinking about all this stuff and thinking about pots and kettles and all of this. Instead, focus on the heart. And I think this is a problem for people in all arenas. It's a problem for religious people. I think sometimes religious people can be really good at this, to come like week after week to service and to participate and like do the right things. But I've seen people who it's like they've been doing this with a broken heart for years. And then something is revealed or something happens and it just breaks my heart. It's like, why didn't you tell someone? How did you just continue in this practice? How did this just keep going? How did you not just say to somebody, hey, can, can I get some help? It's very easy for us to honor the, like, the religious steps and the rituals instead of just sometimes saying, and I think it's easier sometimes to just kind of participate instead of actually doing the hard work of the heart. This is very true of, of, of religious people. I think that's, that's definitely something that we all need to be careful of. But I think especially in in today's society, how things work, this is something that we all need to be aware of. There's a term that I came across. There's a commercial that celebrates it, and a term I came across recently called Instagram boyfriend. You may not be familiar with what an Instagram boyfriend is, but here's a picture of one. An Instagram boyfriend is is a a, a boyfriend who takes pictures of um, their their significant other posing for Instagram, and oftentimes it takes a few shots to, like, get the right pose and to get everything, and there's actually an Instagram account dedicated to people taking pictures of people being Instagram boyfriends, which is like a real meta uh, type thing. It's a little, little out there, but people will see people taking pictures like this at the Bean in Chicago, and someone will post, like, you know, Instagram boyfriend alert, and they'll put it uh, over uh, to the account. But this very much is how our world seems to live. It's this manicured image. It's this, this putting this perfect picture out there. And so, yeah, if you're going to date me, there's going to be these things that we do. We'll take some pictures together, but also you're going to need to take, like, the perfect shots of me as I am, like, posing on the bean or wherever it is that you happen to be. But I think we all fall into this because this is just kind of the air that we breathe. That we want to put this, this perfect persona out there and we don't really think about the deeper things that might be going on in our heart 
in our life. We live pretty superficially. There's a pastor uh, I know who says that we breathe a lot of superficial air. Landon Saunders is, is a minister He's pretty famous in, in Churches of Christ. He um, was a really popular minister in, in his 30s and was preaching at a really large church in Arkansas. And he just decided that that wasn't the career that God wanted from him. He looked at the passages of Scripture and, and recognized um, that when Jesus did ministry, he often did ministry with people who were outsiders, people who weren't necessarily so connected to the faith. So he basically got out of like the heart of Church of Christ ministry in Arkansas. There's not much bigger churches than what we have in those, the southern churches in that area. And so 40 years ago, he just felt the call of God and decided that he wanted to go to the northeast and just try to plant churches and be with people up there. And he said that one thing that's been very interesting, he runs a ministry called Heartbeat Ministries, and something that he's noticed specifically over the last 10 years, way more actually than even in the first 30 years of his ministry in trying to do this, in his reaching out to people and having conversations, he says, more than ever, people are desperate for like a deep conversation. And so he said it's actually been a blessing over the last 10 years of his ministry that he can just go and kind of make some relationships and someone that he works with at, at a grocery store for a little and just kind of, kind of gets to know as in, in the checkout line. After a while, he can say to them, hey, do, you, do you want to come over to my house and discuss the meaning of life? And he said back in the day, everyone was like, uh-oh, like Mormon alert or something. Like, I, 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 like, I'm, and and he, he explains, like, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I'm a, I'm a passionate follower of Jesus, but it's okay if you don't believe. That's okay with me, but I just want to have a conversation with you. And he said, especially over the last 10 years, it's amazing how he can get groups of 10 to 15 people to come to his house and he said, generally, they will have like the, these conversations or, or these, these moments. And he said that he'll have some other things planned, but like oftentimes it's just these people from different faith backgrounds, different traditions, just talking together about the meaning of life. He said that like, over the last 10 years, people are just so hungry for having a conversation that's real. Because I think oftentimes our hearts are hurting. Proverbs 4.23 says this so succinctly and beautifully, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So how is your heart? And you don't have to answer that out loud. But think for a minute. Are you tired? Are you angry? We think sometimes that we're just going like randomly from thing to thing and it doesn't really matter and I'm just going to do this or then do that. But Jesus would say that the things we do, it flows out of us. Eventually it comes out in our actions. How is your heart? John Cougar Mellencamp, the singer, the one song, Jack and Diane, uh, he did a tour of 20 shows in 2017 he was feeling pretty bad uh, through those shows, but he thought he just had a really bad flu, and it's John Cougar Mellencamp, so he just had to keep rolling and performing. And after the tour was over, he finally, like, slowed down and went to a doctor to figure out what was going wrong, because something was up. And the doctor sat down with him, and he said, well, John Cougar, I mean, I assume that's how he talks to him. Uh, he said, actually, like, during these shows, you've been having a series of small heart attacks. 
and you're lucky to have even survived. And he said, he's like, I, I was surviving on that tour with like cigarettes and alcohol, so I don't know how I survived. But I think that's a pretty good picture of how we often live, that there's just so much on our plate. There's so many things that we're, we're trying to do and be involved in, and we're just going from thing to thing and just pressing on and just ignoring some stuff and thinking, oh, you know, it's okay. I'm walking with a limp right now, but I'm just going to keep going. I got to keep plowing through. I got to keep making it. And we ignore what's really going on on a level that's perhaps just a little bit below the surface. And we just try to just plow through life and get through everything and just try to make it. But in reality, we need to understand that we have a heart that needs to be checked out. We need to have a conversation with someone. We need to raise our hand and and say, yeah, I've been in this place. I, I need some help. We need the chance to come before God truly, to let our our hearts just in in humility come before God and have some other people speak into our life. There's a really fascinating article uh, in in USA Today, and it asks this question, if there was a pill that could help improve the physical and mental health of millions of people, how much would people pay for it? It would be amazing, right? Everybody would take it, and it had no side effects. Like, it's supposed to be this really amazing thing. If there was a pill that could do that, like, there would be lines everywhere for this. Everybody would want to come and have this, and almost no matter what it costs, if, it, if you could take a pill that was guaranteed to improve your mental, um, physical, and emotional health, you would take it. You know what the USA Today article says? It's church. It says, it's so amazing that it's actually free. And there's likely one on your street corner. And study after study has shown that this miracle drug is available. And regular church attendance deeply improves your emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Again, this is an article from USA Today. This isn't like from Christianity Today. It isn't like my idea Indeed, health and religion are very much connected. Professor Vanderweel, who sounds legit, um, new research with colleagues at Harvard University, so that's the legit part there, building on more than 20 years of prior work in this area, suggests that religious services brings about better physical and mental health. Adults who do so at least once a week versus not at all have been shown to have a significantly lower risk of dying over the next decade and a half. The results have been replicated in enough studies and populations to be considered quite reliable. So we're considering starting a new campaign, Come to Church or Die, uh, which (laughs) I don't know, I don't know how effective, effective that'll be. But I think the reason why, why this matters and the reason why that this is true, and again, this is like not a religious person that, that put this study together, it is because like when religious groups do things well, it's about bringing your heart before God. And we need that. 
We need the opportunity to, to, to worship God, to, to think about our lives, to be challenged sometimes by the, the words of Scripture, the things that I think encourage us to, to walk more like Jesus. Religion at its best, I think, is a mirror, as James talks about in, in uh, the book of James, that helps us to really sit with some of the difficult and deeper questions and do it together in community. For example, in 1 John 3, uh, it tells us this. This is how we know that our hearts belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And there are passages that we need to, to sit with and reflect on it and be active and participating in to recognize that if you feel like condemnation in your heart, that is not from God. And we need to be reminded of this. We know that God is greater than our hearts, that God knows everything. If we feel that, that weight, if we feel like God doesn't love us or accept us, then we need to understand that that is not from God, and we learn that together in community. I love the passage in, in Luke uh, 24, verse 32. It's a very interesting um, story. Um, the, the road to Emmaus is, is what it's called. And two disciples are, are with Jesus, and they're having this conversation. It's the risen Lord, but they don't fully understand that it's Jesus yet until they have this meal together, and then it says, and then Jesus disappears. I mean, it's maybe one of my favorite stories uh, in Scripture. But as they then are reflecting on this moment, they say, we're not our hearts burning within us. I think that church, religion in general at its best helps our hearts to be burning inside of us, to connect us with a deeper reality, to give us the opportunity to reflect on the fact that we all yearn for deeper things. We all have a heart that desires more than just the things that are constantly in front of us. And I think that we often live just in kind of a moment-to-moment society or mentality. And our mood goes up if we get the right email. And it goes down if we don't get enough likes. And it goes down if we hear some bad news that comes from some part of the world. And it goes up when we get a good comment. But in reality, we all are built for deeper things. Ecclesiastes says it so, so beautifully that God has put eternity on the human heart. That we all collectively long for something more. And we, in our lives, can allow ourselves to be living for, for the wrong things, to be going through all of this stuff. We can live our lives just going through ritual washings, washing plates and cups and kettles and bowls. And Jesus isn't going to say that's not a good idea, but he is going to say you have to go deeper than that. You got to be willing to ask, what is this really going on? deeper within me. Stats show that more than 600,000 people a year have uh, some sort of heart bypass surgery. And as people have have followed up with those who have had these surgeries, um, statistically within two years of that surgery, almost everyone is back to their old habits. 
So the way that they ate before, the way that they exercised or didn't exercise before, they maybe can start it for a couple months and it works for a little while, but after a couple years, old habits are hard to break. Maybe you tried to start with a New Year's resolution. You know exactly how hard it is. So within two years of the surgery, almost everybody is back to normal doing the things that caused them to have to have a heart bypass in the first place. And you would think, like, once it gets that serious, it would be enough. But oftentimes, it isn't. And so doctors and hospitals have started um, trying out this new practice um, called cardio care groups. And people who have had heart bypass surgeries or have had heart attacks, they get together in groups And they talk through their progress, they talk through their ups and downs, they talk through their shame, and they found that these groups do like infinitely better than people trying to do it on their own. So I just want to ask you again, how spiritually is your heart? I know that it's easy to just kind of go through life and just go from thing to thing to thing and never really think about that question. But may we be committed to being a people who seek the true spiritual cleansing that Jesus is getting at here. He says to this group of religious people, you guys are hypocrites because you're just focusing on the outside thing instead of like really understanding what the heart of the matter is. All of us, who I think need to have conversations that are hard from time to time. We need to sometimes just raise our hand and say, I need a little help. May we understand that that is just humanity. It's humanity that the same issues that someone who was struggling with that led them to the heart bypass, two years later, they're likely doing the same thing. And we need a deeper understanding of God's spirit and God's presence to guide our life to truly change our hearts. Let us not waste another day washing cups and bowls and going through the motions when we just need to say to somebody, I need some help. Let us all just set down our pride a little bit and understand that we're all broken we all can fall into those same old habits and old routines. We need to be vulnerable and willing to truly ask the hard question, how is your heart? If you would like to talk to somebody, the worship team will come up as I'm um, saying a prayer here uh, in, in just a moment. But if you would like to talk to somebody about the status of your heart, I'm available to you. Lars would be available to you. We would love to have a conversation. But I hope you don't settle for one more day of allowing your heart to be weary or burdened. Because God has the ability to transform all of our hearts. We're going to sing that song again that we sang earlier called Inside Out because I think that really does do a great job of explaining exactly what Jesus is getting at here. May we be transformed from the inside out as we strive to follow God with our lives. Let's pray.
God, we take a moment of silence as we just tell you what is on our hearts. For those of us who are hurting, who are tired, who are weary, let us not be too prideful to raise our hand and to have a conversation. Father, we are all broken in need of your grace and your redemption. Help us to recognize that you have better things for us not just in heaven with you, though that's something we look forward to, but now. Father, help us to not just go through the motions or to go through the rituals, but to truly seek you and to allow you, the great physician, to work on all of us. Let's not spend one more day going through the rituals to think, truly and deeply about that question. How is my heart? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.